You're listening to Adam and Eve, your local feminist radio show on CJSR 88.5 FM and around the world on CJSR.com. I'm Marco. And I'm Sky. And we'll be your host for this half hour. Today we have coverage of the Hate to Hope Diversity Rally, which took place at the Alberta Legislative Grounds on August 6th. Marco spoke to the organizers of the event. Um, who were the, those organizers? Uh, I spoke with Chevy Rabbit, who is a U of A student and a makeup artist who actually started the Hate to Hope organization and rally. Uh, and then I, I got some footage of the various speeches that I'd like to share with you. Did you hear that? He managed to capture some audio of the speeches. That's fantastic. Okay, so let's uh, go now to some scenes and words from the Hate to Hope rally that took place last weekend. Here's what I know about hate. It hurts. It breaks the person down. For some, it breaks them down to the point of retaliation, sometimes violence, or worse, suicide. We need to remember that every time someone is targeted with hateful speech, regardless of if it was a crime, the hurt builds up. It is a disease. Those of us that don't experience it on a daily basis and in our daily interactions may not fully understand this. So we disregard it, and we don't get how it impacts those who are really struggling in our community. Recently, in my role as the Alberta Hate Crimes Committee President, I spent time in four Alberta communities talking in friendship centers about how hate plays out with Indigenous communities. The one thing I was concerned when I came into this role last November was that the stats around hate crime are that one in every ten that's reported. But the stats also say that it's the Muslim, the Jewish, and the LGBTQ community that are most affected by hate crime. I was concerned that there are communities that have fallen off the radar because they don't report. These were really difficult conversations in the Friendship Centers. It was loud and clear why reporting of hate crimes and incidents are not happening with Indigenous people. Quote, no matter what we do or what we say, we're never believed. There is no trust that law enforcement would work in their interests or serve to protect them. I knew as soon as I heard about the bicycle incident with Bashir that it would not be considered a hate crime. This begs the question, when does that cross the line? It's sad to know that it takes a physical assault or damage to property to be able to react and respond to someone who incites hatred against another based on their race, their background, their ability or identity because it is the small acts that are hurting us all. What I heard over social media after the incident with Bashir was that a feeling that the police fail when it comes to responding to hate. And I want to push that and say, we fail. We as society have not made our communities a safe enough or strong enough space that we can call people out and do so in a way that is constructive and selfless. That was an excerpt of René Vaujois, director of the John Humphrey Centre in Edmonton and human rights advocate, speaking at the 5th annual Hate to Hope rally. On Saturday, August 6, 2016, a small group of activists and supporters gathered outside the Alberta Legislature building for the 5th annual Hate to Hope rally to celebrate diversity and inclusion in the province and to protest acts of hate-based crime. 
The panel of speakers was, indeed, a diverse group of advocates, giving a voice to various different Albertan communities and experiences, including sex trade workers, homeless people, religious minorities, missing and murdered Indigenous women, the LGBTQ community, and immigrants, and all the intersections between. In fact, one of the most remarkable aspects of the evening was how it brought together seemingly disparate and conflicting voices, including representatives from all three major political parties in Alberta, the NDP, Liberal and Conservative. An inspector from the Edmonton Police Service was even invited to speak, which is notable during a time when we are inundated with acts of police brutality in the news. Two particular news stories weighed heavy on the hearts of the speakers. The first being the story of Bashir Mohammed, an Edmonton cyclist who was harassed by a couple in a truck. This altercation culminated in the couple calling Bashir Mohammed the N-word. Luckily, Bashir recorded the incident and posted it on his Facebook page, where it has since gained momentum and shed light on the day-to-day -day experiences of racism that people of color face in the city, particularly black Canadians. The Orlando shooting, which left 49 individuals dead in a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, just last month also was a topic that many of the speakers at the rally expressed grief over, as they urged the audience to examine and resist hate-based violence in our communities. After the rally, I managed to catch up with Chevy Rabbit, the organizer of the rally and founder of the organization Hate to Hope. Hate to Hope is a grassroots organization committed to eliminating hate, discrimination, and bullying in Canada. For the past five years, Chevy Rabbit has organized a march and rally to raise awareness of hate crimes in the province and to give people the chance to voice their struggles and concern in a public forum. I asked Chevy about why he decided to start Hate to Hope. Here's what he had to say. Could I just get you to just say your name and a little bit about who you are? Yeah, Chevy Rabbit. So it's spelled C-H-E-V-I and then Rabbit like R-A-B-B-I-T. And I'm a makeup artist for, well, a professional makeup artist. I'm a professional student and I'm an LGBT advocate. And uh, what can you tell me about the From Hate to Hope rally? Did you start it? Yeah, well, Hate to Hope started after I was assaulted while a student at U of A. I was walking to the campus, no, walking to the grocery store, and I, I got attacked for being how I, how I look. And then from that moment, I, um, well, I realized what happened to me wasn't my fault, and it was their fault. And then I was really upset about it, so I decided to make him uh, create hate to hope from it because I really didn't want to. I didn't want him to get away with it because nobody got charged for my assault. So I really thought, well. If they can't find the people who are who assaulted me, I'm, I'm going to create enough awareness so to know that um, they can't be tolerated. And where does that strength come from? It's from my family. Well, I grew up really love, like I grew up love and being gay is a non-issue. So for me, this is like I've always been myself. I've I forget like how I look. I'm just like really comfortable with myself for the most part. So I think the strength comes from my family. So my mom. Mike Oakham, um, all of that unit, that's where it comes from. Because after I was assaulted, I kind of like suffered post-traumatic post stress and anxiety disorder from it. Um, so it was them rallying around me um, to push me forward, I guess, give me strength. So is this rally kind of about like giving that strength back yeah, that you received? back. It's, well, I really wanted to empower other people because when I got assaulted, a lot of people came forth 
and I realize a lot of people suffer in silence and they don't say anything. Um, so I really wanted this to serve as a reminder that you can speak up and people will listen. And how can people find out more about you or this, um, well, this rally? Oh, the rally? Well, it is www.hatetohope.ca um, and then also social media, but most likely social media is the best one. So it's just Hate to Hope. Um, but this might be my last year doing uh, this um, rally, but I'm really hoping that people in the community like step up to the plate and, uh, you know, take the torch. Yeah, I think that's really valuable. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> That was Chevy Rabbit, makeup artist, U of A student, and founder of the Hate to Hope organization, a grassroots activist group dedicated to ending hate crimes in Canada. I leave you now with another highlight from the fifth annual Hate to Hope rally in celebration of diversity. Here is LGBTQ Muslim activist and educator Junaid Jahangir speaking on the silencing of the disenfranchised and how this propagates hate-based violence. So far as others are concerned, they are given cheap slogans. All lives matter, straight pride, white history month, men's rights. God has a plan for you, Jesus loves you. Islam gave human rights 1400 years ago. Talk is cheap. And they say all this while people like Bashir Muhammad in Edmonton get cursed at and spat on intimidated and subject to raw hatred. Some are even beaten, tasered and murdered. And when the disenfranchised stand up for themselves, they are told to keep it down, tone it down. So either what we hold to be just and true is just and true for everybody, or we are just another supremacist clan. So can we get over ourselves and actually think about the small indignities that other people face every day of their precious lives? Can we play a small role in making things better? Even if it be through an insignificant smile, but one which does wonders for the broken, the lonely, the hurting and the sidelined. You're listening to Adam and Eve on CJSR 88.5 FM and streaming around the world at CJSR.com. We were just listening to some scenes and words from the Hate to Hope rally in Edmonton last weekend. And now we go over to Sky for this week's Poetry Eve. Uh, so this week I had the chance to talk to Shima Robinson here in the studio where we discussed her poetry and its density of both meaning and agency. Shima is also known by her stage name, Dweniman, um, and is a student at McEwen University. Hi, my name is Shima Aisha Robinson, a.k.a. Dweniman. Um, Dweniman is my pen name, um, and it means strength, humility, learning, and wisdom. It is the name of an Adinkra symbol from West Africa. It's an ancient symbol that is... Uh, that is that can be drawn and in its image form it is also the symbol of the ram horn in nature um and <laughs> what else about Dwanaman? 
Duanaman is sort of like my living mantra. I'm trying to embody strength, humility, learning, and wisdom in all of my pursuits and in all of my travails. Now, besides uh, poetry, what are your pursuits? Do you have, uh, or do you call yourself a poet first? I think I would call myself a poet first, for sure. And then I'm a student. I'm a sociology student. Um, at, at, not at U of A anymore. I used to be at U of A, now I'm at Grant McEwen University. Um, I am an artist, I guess, just like I try to be artful in everything that I do, including my scholarly writing. Um, I, but also I'm a community worker. I work with youth in the inner city, um, doing spoken word poetry and setting up or volunteering for festivals, being on boards for festivals like the Heart of the City Festival and Hip Hop in the Park Festival. I guess I'm kind of sitting on a lot of things that I'm not doing yet or that I haven't done in a long time. Um, I have been an instrumentalist. I have been a, um, like a painter of sorts. Um, and these are things that I want to start doing again in the near future, so. I was gonna actually ask if you were a painter because I was gonna ask you to do your poem Portraiture of Ladies and your imagery in this poem is very expansive and it is kind of like being immersed in an enormous painting ah, when you thank you. when you perform it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely can can do the poem. Um, and I guess, yeah, I, I, I took some fairly in-depth courses in painting in high school um, from one very amazing art teacher named Mr. Miller. Um, and he did a lot of art history as part of his curriculum. So I learned some things about the, the significance of certain devices and um, certain um, classic techniques, I guess. Um, and then I found that directly transferable to writing because it's all about aesthetics. Yeah, that, and then I guess the imagery, like a lot of a lot of the art history we studied was European history. So the imagery in Portrait of a Lady is very much informed by my knowledge of like old European culture um, and how that interacts less than harmoniously with like present day culture. Your language, it's like very academic too. Like mm -hmm. it is a very mm -hmm. um, clever sounding poem as well as being a very, you know, emotionally stirring poem. Right. Um, and I think it's very difficult sometimes to balance those two things because mm -hmm. um, it's easy to go for emotionally stirring cliches, I guess, kind of like putting violins under scoring a scene in a movie, you know, mm -hmm. and then you like know you're supposed to cry. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes... Uh, academic language because it isn't uh, cliched in the same way in popular culture. Like it doesn't carry the same instant meaning mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Uh, how do you kind of balance that? I think what I do is that I try to avoid state, like cliched statements that are not expanded upon. And in expanding a cliched statement, I can put it into academic or just any kind of artful language that will have similar impact to the cliche, but that helps people to understand deeper meanings, nuances, and um, even contradictions that reside within our cliched lexicon. 
or a lexicon of cliches. Um, so that's a lot of what was going on when I was writing portraits. I definitely um, was trying to think of even like a, a typical feeling toward the subject of the poem. And instead of writing this, this is the feeling, you know, for example, like we pity the missing, but that's not good enough. I was like, well, <laughs> how do I like articulate the the depth of feeling beyond pity, you know, like the, that, that I can detect in people's demeanor to, toward the idea of missing people or like castaways or um, just like the, the, the people on the periphery of society of like uh, uh, affluent society right and then i and then i thought about you know how the statement of dissatisfaction or resistance or whatever whatever you can describe the prevalent sort of like pushing back in the poem is could be a consistent aesthetic development it didn't have to be a two-liner even though it kind of is at the end but then it's like it's like the black cherry on the devil's food cake with with I don't know truffle icing at the end and yeah. my in my idea of what I wanted the poem to be it's like this this smorg of like super densely heavy things to say about a topic that can't even be captured really by saying anything like it's it's more about needing to act and then also approaching the idea of speech as action and not as like a passive um, exercise. Because I think a lot of times people think that, they, they, they think that they can sort of pish-tosh people's speeches or like people's voices, especially people's voices. Um, because even in like people who are trying to empower marginalized communities will often say things like, oh, they don't have a voice, they don't have a voice. And I, I, I am consistently trying to remind myself to remind others that we all have voices, even people who don't have like a larynx or a physical ability to make sound with their throat have a way of expressing themselves. Every living thing can express itself, wherever the boundary of life lies, whatever. That's another existential thing. But like the idea is that we can all express and we can all express to each other. So there's no need to give voices to anybody. It's just like, embrace the idea of speech as act um and that even goes right to one of the most important maybe even the heart of the poem in terms of critique is the line the new black is speech that line is about like dealing with the idea that oratory or convicted speech making or speaking in general was outmoded um, for a long time by fashion and flair and and things that are exciting to the senses but not necessarily stimulating to the mind. The new, um, you know, CK svelte model lying there with nothing to do and little to say in her or his ad is actually whatever that model has to say in real life. Like flipping the idea towards, as opposed to, you know, people don't have a voice as to, like, 
why can't we hear them? Why aren't we listening? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Like, aren't we trying to pick up right. on what is permeating, which is everyone's stories, which mm-hmm. is nice. Definitely. And I, I, I feel like it's, it also, that, that articulates one of the best parts of that statement, whatever the effect of that statement is, is that it then turns the, the microscope onto ourselves because we are the ones, or we, I mean, uh, people who claim to want to empower are often the ones who are doing the oppressing. And so we have to think why it is we've ever said, I need to give so-and-so a voice, or like why it is we've ever been turning a pretty indifferent uh, regard toward the state of things by bemoaning the state of things without acting to change the state of things. So even found like in poets some poets writing has almost been reduced to flair and yeah. like models so then even like you can kind of reverse the idea of like looking at the model and like what does she have to say and then like look at this poet what is the flair why is it all flair yeah sometimes yeah why is it all <laughs> why is it imitating yeah that kind of obsession with image yeah absolutely and absolutely. being captivating instantly Without thought. Yeah, without building, without crescendo, like without without rejecting the idea of being liked. Yeah. Portraits of war-painted ladies are filling the sordid coffers of our modern Hades, where genteel offerings are daily made of stoppers built to fill mouths that withstood years shelved under gilded droughts, but now face the pain of drained effervescence from their lesson-cleft lips, dressed up in rouge tints that spoke into the scorching palms of oppressors, pressed against the last gasps for breath enough to fill complete sentences that leave contemporary listeners disturbed, barely concealing the harrowing sense held in distrust that keeps the proven frailty of the marred capital I image of loveliness for company. Picture, love, leaning against our arm's length, reliant strength, weep before its lost silks and teething on the, the dilapidated stone masonry of its newest dank settlement, where shackled ranking is determined by a verminous heft and sway of our respective heart-breaking weights while watchers plate the frayed ends of once regal-piled heads, desperate to restore the knotted lore of honesty, lost. Because halos now bestowed are charcoal-fashioned, papier-mâché slathered plaster of Paris effigies, coated in rationed portions of yellowed paint to complete the faded no-name replacement for what we once called awesome brilliance. I mean, listen. Even our words' forgotten meanings are spilling into blank spaces left by absent calls for responses, like, Yeah, woman, that was awesome, but now... Nerves riven, intention discriminate, empty vessels assess distances and keep well shod. Count out friends by pounds of impediment. Tell me how much energy you'll leech if I bring you a long way from birthplace where original sin left the guilt of non-existence and the filling wink beds of chillin' children who don't concern themselves with the harms of helpfulness. 
because they've stood under situational curses and overstand the helplessness is worse. It's last drawstring of the corset morbid. Lung aching has had a sore ribs for us lucky kids in captivity or so says the signage on the sheet white whalebone shrine. It's glinting delight at our proclivity for feasting alone and then heaving up discordant tones. Swallowed stories of home engulfed for the sake of self-hatred. So we could all corpse float in worried remembrance of our discarded essence, marching our margins custom-sized for corrections, voluntarily subject to those red ink inspections that are broad brush strokes made to render and flay the flesh of maids, masterpiece meal agreements reached at this undusted end of days, then devoted to the new royalty. Thousands sorted accordingly, including cast-offs and runaways, whose last offerings and sundry complaints are hung in the dumbing folds of propriety's heavy robes. Gripping shards of their shattered passions, they will roll transients, clandestine, and paint an array of canvases and belligerent exclamations, calling on a foul-mouthed matron to connect errant with realness. Keep the careworn reason far from sheepish because the new black is speech. Past the foreboding shadow of the dunce cap heap I accumulated in my sleep, and gradual as the drying oils of artifice rancor, the portraiture of ladies is a part of us. It's cancer. Is there anything else you want to add to say? Yeah, I'm going to plug my book because I I self-published a book of poems called Horn, H-O-R-N. Um, and it is that that poem is included in, in the book. It's been professionally edited by Ellen Kartz and it is available right now only through myself or Indiegogo because I used a crowdfunder to uh, fund the first round of books, which are now sold out. Hooray. Um, so if people want to go and find it on Indiegogo, they can. Um, I don't know the link, uh, but it's just... We'll the- post the link on our social media. All right. And you can go and buy Shima's book right. because it will change your life. Yes, I, I hope so. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I hope it will. That was Shima Robinson, or Dwenneman, performing in the CJSR studio in Edmonton for this week's Poetry Eve. We are coming to the end of today's show, that time where we rattle off the social media and bid you a good adamant evening. <laughs> we have been your hosts, Sky. And Marco, and you're all invited to tune in again in two weeks' time for another installment of Adam and Eve. Meanwhile, if you want to catch up with us, we're on social media. Check out our Facebook and Twitter pages for information about Dwenneman's book and for other relevant content. You can also stream old episodes of our show on SoundCloud, on CJSR's SoundCloud. And you can also find us on iTunes now. And I'm gradually, you know, going through our backlog of episodes and I'm uploading an old one with every new one. So if you're new, you'll get a chance to hear some older Adam and Eve, which is nice. From the archives. From the archives, the vault. Our librarian, brought to you by Marco, our librarian. Now, bid you farewell. That's all for this week.